there, Java junkies. It's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have an exciting announcement to share with you. On April 17th, Time for Coffee is going to hold its first in-person live event. That's right. We're inviting you to join us in the audience for free. And we've got all kinds of cool swag to give away to the first 25 Java junkies who show up. So make sure to get there early. We're calling it Time for Coffee's Caffeinated Career Mini Summit. And it'll take place at the University of Maryland at 7 p.m. on April 17th. And for those of you in the area, we hope you'll join us at Maryland's College Park campus. Just go to timeforcoffee.org to get more information. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's Time for Coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in the world of communications and you also care about making the world a better place, then my next guest is definitely someone you're going to want to listen closely to. But before I introduce you to a former colleague and friend of mine who happens to be working at a place you may have heard of called Facebook, if you haven't already signed up for the Java Junkies Journal, that's our weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, giving you an overview and details about the five episodes we're going to be dropping that week, please head over to the Time for Coffee website at Time the number four coffee.org and sign up. And while you're there, please check out the rest of the homepage. Just scroll down a little bit and you'll see we've got all the episodes that we've dropped to date organized by profession, hopefully making it super easy for you to find the right professionals in the fields and careers that you're most interested in. But if you prefer to do it the old-fashioned way, you're welcome to go to the Time for Coffee podcast page and you can scroll through to your heart's content. Now, grab your mug and take a chug because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Eric Porterfield, the Consumer Communications Manager for Social Good at Facebook. Prior to joining one of the most successful social media companies of all time, Eric worked at the United Nations Foundation for seven years as the Senior Communications Director, supporting communications across global issues, partnerships, and events. During that time, Eric built a journalism fellowship program that took hundreds of journalists to see the work of the UN up close and personal. We're going to be talking with Eric about his time at the UN Foundation and his time at the Red Cross and as a journalist at ABC News. Eric, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Good morning, Andrea. Yes, I've got a whole cup of coffee in front of me here in San Francisco and I'm ready to go. Wonderful. And yes, of course, it's three hours earlier, but you've been at work since three hours. Tell Java Junkies how early you get into the office. Andrew, you said I'm I'm a morning person, so I typically get in around seven a.m. Oh man, that is that is a little too early for my taste. But then, as also a former journalist, there were days I had to be sitting at my desk at five a.m. in the morning. So I guess seven a.m. is not that bad. Eric, you've been at Facebook now for about 
18 months as the Consumer Communications Manager for Social Good. Could you share with Java Junkies what a Consumer Communications Manager is and what your team does? Sure. So I oversee social good communications at Facebook. Social good at Facebook is really how we can help build tools and products that allow our community to come together and do good things on our platform. So as a communications lead for social good, I oversee both our internal communications and planning, our external communications while setting sort of the top line narrative and messaging, media relations, and also sort of the thought leadership pillar of like where our executives speak and what events are we involved in. So it's it's a sort of a myriad of different experiences across both internal, external, and thought leadership. Gotcha. So can you break down or maybe just give an example or two of the kind of social good work that you and your team are responding to and are helping support? Sure. So our products are across four main areas. That's charitable giving, crisis response, mentorship and health. So just to give you a really clear example, you know, there's a a major hurricane that hits the US. Our crisis response products will one, allow you to mark yourself as safe and let your friends and family know that you're okay. But it will also take you to a, a hub, if you will, that will allow you to post information, see information. If you're in the disaster zone, it will allow you to actually learn more about what's going on. Then it will take you to an area where you can you can provide help with you, your community. You can also provide donations or start a fundraiser. So there's there's lots of different tools that are available to, to our community to really do good in their backyard and around the world to support others. You also mentioned charitable giving. So how does that work? Sure. So if you're really passionate about, let's let's take pets, for example. I have a little, little dog named Walter. Um, <laughs> then you can go on our on Facebook and start a nonprofit fundraiser where 100% of your donations, the donations that come from your friends and family, go to an organization like the ASPCA or a local animal shelter. Or you could set up a, a fundraiser for an individual like, you know, let's say a neighbor has lost everything or in a fire or a, a disaster, you can set up a, a fundraiser um, to help support that friend or family. Okay. Eric, take us into a typical day in the life of someone who's managing social good communications at Facebook? What does it look like? (laughs) Well, one of my favorite things about my job is no day is the same. But every single day, it's full of meetings, lots of calls, lots of writing, uh, lots of emails. But it, it is very much up to you on like what your day looks like because you're you know planning a lot of different activities in the days, weeks, months ahead. So I have an event coming up in a couple of weeks in New York, and it's a lot of preparation for that event. But then again, it is also a fun working environment. You lots of uh, time to catch up with colleagues. To you know, we have a cafeteria in our building, so we could go down to, to lunch. So there's a lot of there's a, a very big social component of my job as well. So you mentioned writing. Can you give us an example of the kinds of materials that you're preparing both for internal consumption and also for external consumption? 
Sure. So the, the way we communicate internally is actually pretty novel. And it's we have a product called Workplace. And it's almost like a, a Facebook for employees. We do a lot of time updating those various channels. So let's say uh, one of the channels I post a lot in is uh, Facebook comms or social good FYI. So I, I do a lot of internal communications through the, the appropriate channels to let my colleagues know what's going on. But then I do a lot of external writing as well. So it could be anything from a briefing doc for an executive who's speaking at an event coming up or an overall company narrative, writing messaging for anyone in the company who's going to be speaking about health or charitable giving. We need to make sure that we have updated language so that they can go out and talk about our work. could be preparing an infographic or a one-pager, or maybe it's prepping someone for an interview or doing an interview. So it's it's every day is very, very different in, in terms of communication. But it's also, if you're in the field of communications, it's all of those things that I'm, <laughs> that I'm responsible for. That sounds really interesting and also really fun. For Java junkies, Eric, who may be interested either in getting involved more in fundraising for nonprofits, or hopefully they won't be in a disaster zone, but we saw recently that these storms happen out of the blue and you never know where they're going to hit. Where can they go to find those sites that you mentioned? How can they tap into those tools for social good? Sure. So if you go to your Facebook on your mobile phone or your the, or Facebook.com, you can go to the navigation bar on the left side of your Facebook page or the menu button on your phone. And you can just scroll down till you find crisis response or I think the other one's called fundraisers. So you can, yeah, it's called fundraisers. So if you click the fundraisers button, for example, you can see what types of causes you can raise money for. Or you can see other types of fundraisers and you can either just easily donate or you can create a fundraiser for your favorite nonprofit or cause. Great. And then what about for natural disasters? Sure. And the good thing about our product is if you're in the, the affected area, you will probably get a prompt at the top of your newsfeed that says, are you safe? Let your friends and family know you're okay. That way, if you're are able to see it. If you're outside the affected area, you can do the same thing where the fundraisers button is. There's a button called crisis response, or you can go to facebook.com slash crisis response. That's great. Thank you so much, Eric. You know, I want to talk with you a bit about your experience in the nonprofit world in a moment. But first, I was hoping you could talk about what you've noticed in the 18 months since you've been now in the for-profit world, what the biggest differences are focused in the social good space. I'm guessing, first of all, the compensation is better in the for-profit world. (laughs) But what about the culture? You mentioned in our espresso shots, the idea that your authentic self is valued and you are encouraged, maybe there's a better word, to make sure that you are presenting your authentic self at work. I don't know what about the level of bureaucracy or the lack of bureaucracy and just the ability to get shit done. What are you seeing, Eric, <laughs> are among the biggest differences? Sure. I, you know, I think the biggest difference for me is just the pace and the scale. The pace at which, one, you're surrounded by the best people in the world. You know, like these are people that ran the Obama White House or ran the whatever company or industry. These are industry experts that are now coming into Facebook to lead whatever vertical or position they're in. So you're surrounded by some of the smartest people 
that you will ever meet, which is pretty incredible. But you're also surrounded by technology experts, engineers, people who are able to really build products. And, and because of our scale on Facebook with more than 2 billion people on the platform, it's just in previous positions to reach, I don't know, a couple of thousand people, you would be like, that would be your goal. But when you're when you're at Facebook, you're talking millions and billions, and it's just it's just a different level of scale. So I think that's to me the biggest difference. And then you you did mention culture. This is why I came to work here. They put a lot of emphasis on on culture and maintaining a culture that is open and transparent. You mentioned it. We really encourage to bring your authentic self to work, and what that means is they really want to see everything that you bring to the table. And if you feel most comfortable in shorts and flip-flops, wear that. If you're a very creative and expressive person, bring that, whatever that means to you, to work so that you can really, we can really maximize all your talents and that you're really, really comfortable and that all the employees, everyone knows who you are and, and, and what you bring to the table. So I think that's really um, the, the biggest difference for me. You mentioned bureaucracy. There's very little bureaucracy here. It's a very flat type of structure. So it doesn't matter what your title is. So in fact, I don't even know what people's titles are most of the time when I'm dealing with them. It's more about, am I working with the right group of people to get something done? Wow, that is fantastic. I can totally see why Facebook would be attracting the best and the brightest, for sure. Eric, before you went to Facebook, you worked at the United Nations Foundation, where there are also lots of talented people, also known as the UN Foundation. You were there for seven years. For Java Junkies, who may not know that much about the UN Foundation. Could you please give them just a quick overview of what it is and what it does? I loved working at the UN Foundation. It was uh, the entrepreneur, Ted Turner, created the foundation 20 years ago when the U.S. wasn't paying dues to the U.N. And he created the foundation to really be an ally to the U.N. and to really encourage U.S. participation and leadership in the U.N. So it started 20 years ago, and it runs a lot of different outreach and awareness campaigns, um, advocacy campaigns that really build awareness and drive action to support the U.N. And there's campaigns like some of your listeners might be familiar with, like Girl Up, and Nothing But Nets is an advocacy campaign to really support the elimination of malaria globally, or Girl Up supports girls' education. There's Shot at Life that supports childhood immunization. So it's really taking some of these complex challenges and issues that the UN was set up to support and breaks it down for everyday Americans to get involved. Yeah. I'd have to imagine that wasn't an easy gig, considering the mission of the foundation, as you said, is to drive awareness and support for the work of the UN, which unfortunately hasn't had a terrific reputation in the US for sure for a number of years. There have been any number of detractors when it comes to the work of the UN. How did you manage to break through and your job when you were at the UN Foundation was to lead communications around different issue areas of importance to the UN and to help direct campaigns and initiatives. Could you share a story, Eric, from your years at the UN Foundation in which you and your team maybe struggled to shine a spotlight on something the UN was doing really well that hadn't been getting media attention and how you succeeded in doing that? Yeah, this was always a challenge for us. But the world is a complicated place. Even with my time at 
at Facebook, there are so many layers of complexities and challenges out there that an organization like the UN is trying to deal with. Some they do well, some they don't. And so I think the reputation, anytime you have a bunch of governments trying to work together, it's going to be messy. But the things that they do really well are humanitarian side. And so we tend to focus on, at least the campaigns that I worked on were really on the humanitarian side. I looked at the opportunity as, why aren't journalists covering this issue? And in my sort of research and just a better understanding of the state of journalism and the resources being poured more into domestic reporting, you said previously I started a a fellowship that brought journalists to see the issue firsthand. So we would partner with UN colleagues and organizations on the ground in places like Malawi or Mozambique or India or wherever, Vietnam. And we would take a group of 10, 15, 20 journalists to actually go and look at these issues so that they could meet these individuals. And I always found that once you hear about the challenge and then you meet people that are living and, and working in the community just like your own, but don't have the same opportunities, you sort of get that travel bug or that interest in writing about that issue because you, you see it and, and fall in love with it. And I saw that time and time again. So just to get back to your question, I think it's break down those big stats. Uh, no one knows what a big number means and tell those stories. The more you focus on the stories, the better. I think that is such a great example. And I also think it's a perfect example, Eric, of one of the many things you do so well, and that is to bring fresh eyes and a really creative, innovative spirit to your work. So you ask the question, why aren't journalists covering these stories? You wanted to get to the root cause. And I'm guessing that the Mm -hmm. answer to that question was travel budgets were cut. They weren't able to go. They were so distracted, maybe, with so many other stories, getting their attention was more difficult. So what you did was conceive of this press fellowship program as a way to bring the story to the journalists, bring the journalists to the story. Yeah, it was it was really rewarding. And I also have hundreds of journalist friends now who I still keep in touch with. It's been incredible to watch their own careers grow and for them to see them self-focusing on some of these um, really important global issues. Actually, you are now touching on another point that I wanted to raise with Java junkies in particular, and that is another secret to Eric's success is his ability to network and to do it really effortlessly. I've joked with people since first meeting Eric, that there's, if anybody's ever heard of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, there really is a six degrees of Eric Porterfield. He knows everyone. But Eric, not everyone is as good at networking as you are. What advice can you offer Java junkies who may not be so good at it or may be shy about putting themselves out there to develop those contacts, those sources, those relationships? Because this is something that really can and will help them as their career evolves. Yeah, no, I, I I never really consider myself that great at networking, but you know, everyone always tells me that I really thrive in those type of environments. But it's it's not always easy. If you walk into a room and you don't know anyone, it can be very intimidating. So my number one rule is I try to at least know one person or I try to bring a friend. Bring a friend who's a networker <laughs> and do your time to research an event, map out who you want to meet and try to establish connections beforehand. But I always find it better to have a goal in mind 
because I, I am a pretty competitive person. So I would say, I'm going to meet 10 people tonight. And then I look in a room, I map out a room, I go and meet and talk to you. You'll be surprised if you go up and talk to one person and say, hey, I'm here to meet people in this field or or people drawing X, Y, and Z, most people will go out of their way to make sure they connect you with the right people. But I find that if you can be upfront and honest about why you're there, people appreciate it. I think the reason that you are so good at networking, Eric, is because you don't think of it that way. You're Mm. just interested in meeting people and getting to know them. And it goes back actually to something that you said during the espresso shots. You are a good listener. Yeah, I think I think that's right. If you listen to people, you can actually hear what they're trying to tell you and say, and you can follow up with with helpful or relevant points. And so I really think we've as a culture need to listen more because you can one, you can learn a lot from people and people are just fascinating. I mean, I actually just really enjoy hearing what people have to say and learning about their lives and experiences. And if I think if we all, all take an opportunity to really listen more, we can probably get a lot more done. Mm, oh my goodness. I'm going to take that in right now because I think I can be a better listener. I should be a better listener. Eric, one of the many things that I have always admired about you is centered on the fact that you are just one of those people who is comfortable in your own skin. You exude quiet confidence. And as a gay man and a gay professional coming up in the working world in the early 2000s, I can't imagine that was always easy. And I know you're a twin and your brother is also gay. I don't know. Did that help? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think for me, it was never a big deal because one, I had I had family support. I had parents who were cheerleaders from an early age. I had a twin brother who also had a very similar experience. Obviously, we're identical twins, came out at about the same time. It was just never, even though it was a challenge growing up, it was just never a big deal. Like I would tell people and people would be like, <laughs> would just kind of roll with the punches and keep moving. I always wanted it to be a bigger deal, but no one ever seemed to mind. Um, uh, so, Why do you say you wish it had been a bigger um, deal? Because I struggled with it as, as an adolescent. And that's always the biggest hurdle of coming out is you think people are going to be horrified or uh, treat you differently. And it was just never a big deal. I was never out in my early professional career until I came to a company like ABC News. And I started to see more out gay men and like actually out in the workplace. And that obviously helps. I mean, if you see more people like yourself out and proud to be at work, it definitely helps. So I think that was a, a motivating experience for me. And then as I through my career, it just never was an issue. And now I'm very fortunate to be at Facebook where my manager is a gay man. There are lots of different very people from diverse backgrounds here that just doesn't matter. As long as you bring the right experience and the right attitude to work, It really doesn't matter if you're gay or not. Eric, what advice do you have for young LGBTQ students or young professionals who think they may want to build a career in the world of communications? Look for companies like Facebook that accept you for who you are. Look for the companies that that do that. And if they don't, you know, don't work there, obviously. I mean, I know we're not all fortunate enough to work for places like Facebook, but there are a lot of employers out there that will value your expertise and your skills, regardless of, of your sexual orientation. So find the places that will accept you for who you are. 
And I just don't put a lot of emphasis on being a gay man. I'm more of a who I am and, and my, my expertise and where I've come from is also just as valuable as, as being gay at work. Absolutely. That is such great advice, Eric. I want to flashback quickly to when you were a young Java junkie at UNC and you were a biology major. You got your Bachelor of Science. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? No. I. So my brother and I both started school. He was at Duke UNC dual he was way smarter than I was. We thought we were going into medicine. I thought I might want to go into dental school until I went and did a, um, until I shattered a dentist. And I was like, I cannot do this. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> I think it's that process of elimination is really important. So I, I thought maybe I wanted to be a science writer. I remember thinking that in my career, I always gravitated to science. I loved chemistry and I loved biology for some weird reason. And it's probably my mom's background. But I really stuck with what I knew and what I excelled in, which was with the science field. Obviously, I pivoted away from that. But I always ask students I'm giving advice to and helping mentor, like, what are the subjects that you like doing? What do you like studying? And I tend to say, focus on that. Like, study what you really are inspired to do and want to study. Don't force yourself down a road that you're just going to be miserable and not do well. That is such great advice, Eric. What about extracurriculars while you were at UNC? What clubs or fraternities or other non-classwork related activities did you engage in that in hindsight, Eric, you look back on and say, oh, wow, I was actually learning skills or developing my portfolio that helped me once I entered the professional world. Yeah. So what they don't tell you in college is that you probably won't remember a single thing you learn in the classroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not so, the only one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a rite of passage. It's really important. But I think the biggest thing for me is I did a lot of sports. I was involved in, in the local community. I volunteered a ton. And I think that was a very valuable life experience for me and really shaped a lot of my friendships after college. Yeah. Eric, two final questions. The first is, could you share an experience from your professional life when you struggled, whether it was a difficult supervisor, challenging organization, in over your head, fill in the blank, and how you persevered? And then the final question is, if you could go back to UNC and do it all over again, based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> but great questions. The first one I would say, you know, I've had some difficult supervisors or, or managers in the past. I always encourage people to find the people that you work well with, find those leaders or those mentors and really seek them out. If you are in a situation where you're not happy with your current manager, go find those mentors or those individuals that will help you and try to get on their teams. The people that you work with are really important in your life and will help you encourage you along the way. I've been very fortunate. Most of my career has been with incredible managers and they really helped me along the way and give me really sound advice and helping me get to that next level. And that's what you want. Your second question, if I could do it all over again, I, I would probably encourage myself to take a year off, to grow up a little bit, to go and see what it's like in the real world and why you need to go to school. I took advantage of it because of I was privileged and my parents paid for my college and I didn't really understand why it was there. And I really wish I would have really grown up a little bit and taken some time off to go and see the world first. And would you have done that 
after high school or after college? I would have probably done it after high school. Got it. To give yourself a little more perspective. Yeah, I think that's important. Eric, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the Java Junkie community. You are such a wonderful person, mentor, leader, and I know Java Junkies are going to get so much out of listening to you. I hope so. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.